Good morning. <laughs> Today's reading is going to be from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. That's a shame. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing the ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of the Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Steve. Good morning. I feel like that was like the most dramatic reading of scripture that I've heard in a bit, Steve. Thank you. That was that was that was wonderful. Um, I have to commend you all. I think we are the fastest growing church from 10 to 1015, because if you start at 10 and you look out here as, as, as Pastor Dennis is surveying the land, it is, it is sparse and few and far between. But by the time the, uh, the message starts, we, uh, we are a, a massive church. Um, good morning. Um, if you're new here or if you are still trying to get to know us and you've only been coming here uh, a little bit and you don't, you're not sure who we are, um, my name is Rob Keparudis. I am the worship arts and uh, executive pastor here in Troy. Um, Terra Nova is a family of churches and we don't really talk about this a lot, but we have locations in Saratoga and in North Adams, Massachusetts and our church family here in Troy. And it's good to be reminded of the work that God is doing in and through the family of churches at Terra Nova as we continue to be a church planting church. That's what we are and that's what we do. 
Um, so we're in the home stretch of Hebrews, um, and that might be a good thing for you. Maybe you're excited that we're coming to the end of this series, uh, or maybe you're, you're sad because Hebrews has been an amazing series for us. Um, we have this week and we have next week where we'll take chapter 9 and uh, we'll wrap that chapter up before we break into summer, where we'll be spending that season uh, in the book of Psalms. And we have some really exciting things that I think are good for us as a church during the summer that tends to have a little bit of a a different feel towards it. Um, If you didn't hear when we did the State of the Church, we are going to have two outdoor services in Sage Park, kind of like smack dab in the middle of July. Um, We'll also have an opportunity for our other church family, um, uh, church families. Uh, Saratoga and North Adams are going to join us here in the club on July 30th to just have church gathered together. We, uh, if you remember, we went up there one time when we couldn't actually use uh, the space in here. So uh, Saratoga and North Adams are going to join us. Plus, uh, we have a uh, church picnic planned towards the end of the uh, summer in August, and which case we are hoping to baptize 15 people. I'm not sure if you heard Pastor Tori share that um, back at the State of the Church, but um, he's, he's throwing out a challenge uh, for us there to have 15 people baptized um, at the church picnic. And in all of that, we're hopeful that the Victorious Life uh, Church family will join us for some outdoor services, uh, also for uh, our church picnic as well. I want to encourage you as we enter into this summer season uh, to continue to show up and to be present in the, the, the Sundays that you are here, because I understand that summer has vacations and getaways and all things planned that you want to go enjoy, but I would encourage you that in those weeks that you are here to not check out, but actually to take this opportunity to be more present with your brothers and sisters in Christ uh, and being here, because every season is God's season. But, but for some reason, summer has like this special power, especially for us Northeastern like people. We, we like relish the idea of going outside and enjoying sun. Um, but Christ is refreshing, right? And to, to flee um, into Christless leisure, um, it makes our souls parched. Uh, we tend to um, at first feel like there's this freedom and this fun of like not spending time in the word or spending time in prayer. But um, when we neglect those things, we end up paying for them in the long run. We end up with uh, a shallowness or powerlessness or we have vulnerability to sin or we end up in, in um, relationships that are superficial and we end up having a loss of interest in the word and in the worship and in the things of the spirit. Christ gives himself... Um, to us in proportion to how much we uh, want his refreshment. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so one of the reasons to give the Lord um, special attention during this season of summer is to say we want all of your refreshment. We really want it. So don't let the summer shrivel your soul, but actually engage in the word and, and communion with brothers and sisters. Okay, so you're now wondering when are we going to talk about Hebrews. Um, so here we are, chapter 9, specifically working through the first 14 verses that Steve just read for us. And this passage has a captivating message of hope, of redemption, and the transforming power of Christ. And as we journey through these verses, I just want to have this main idea in front of you. You can't save yourself. 
good thing Jesus can and does save you. And here's how we are going to get here. Verses 1 through 10, we'll look at the imperfect system of the Old Covenant, seeing how the rituals performed by the high priest and the repeated sacrifices of animals served only as temporary symbols pointing toward a greater purification yet to come. Jesus, our better purifier. Verses 11 and 12 will reveal the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, who was the ultimate high priest. In his perfect sacrifice, Jesus accomplished what animal sacrifices could never achieve, an eternal redemption, forgiveness, and a right standing with our God. And lastly, we're going to close our time in, in verses 13 and 14, and we're going to zero in on the transforming power of Jesus' blood. Like I said, the animals, the blood of the animals over only offered a temporary ceremonial cleansing, but the blood of Jesus, yeah, being the sinless person that he was and offered it willingly, has the power to purify our consciences and set us free from the guilt and weight of our past, our current, and our future sins. So whether you're here today as a seeker of truth, burdened by guilt and searching for a way to be cleansed, or as a believer desiring to deepen your understanding of the incredible work of Christ, this passage holds life-changing truths for all of us. So don't check out thinking that this doesn't apply to you because it applies to all of us. So we're going to pray um, and then we're going to get at the scripture together. Heavenly Father, we approach your throne today with gratitude and anticipation, knowing that in your word we find life, truth, and transformation. We invite your Holy Spirit to open our hearts, enlighten our minds, and reveal the beauty and the power of Jesus, the better purifier. Draw us closer to you. Renew our faith and empower us to live transformed lives for your glory and your glory alone. It's in Christ's name that we ask these things and we pray. Amen. So let's unpack the beauty and the majesty of, of Christ as he has been revealed to us as the better purifier. We're not going to spend a lot of time uh, in this section, but it's important to understand why this first covenant was not sufficient for what was ultimately needed. And you can see here at the end of chapter 8, the author um, closes this chapter by saying, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish. And then he opens up chapter 9 by explaining this first imperfect system, how it was, and gives us some of the details of how it worked. And even in that passage, we can see how he's like, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not going into all of these details. I have something far greater to share with you and to show you. So even in all these details, here, here's, what, here's where I'm going. Because verses 1 through 10 were just describing the limitations of the Old Covenant's tent or tabernacle and its rituals. The tent or tabernacle was a physical structure 
a place that people went. And they had those various compartments that we read about and those furnishings and including the, the holy place where the priests would enter routinely into. And then there was also the most holy place, or, or it was referred to as the holy of holies, where the high priest would enter once a year. The first, the first covenant could only provide a fleeting and momentary cleansing from their sins. So this was an outward washing of their faults and their failures, as we see in verses 9 and 10. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Each year, the high priest would enter into the most holy place to make atonement for his sins and the sins of the people using the blood of animals so we can see how we have this already flawed system where the flawed high priest that would also need the same purification that all the other people would need year after year after year and there was no end in sight. This system, this covenant, while ordained by God was imperfect and temporary because it served as a symbol and a foreshadowing of the perfect purification to come through Christ alone. They couldn't save themselves either. They had no way to do any of those things on their own. They needed the sacrifice of animals by an imperfect high priest each year to forgive their sins. So temporary arrangements had to be made in order to keep things flowing, to regulate the ongoing human life until the appointed time. And here is where everything changes. Here is the appointed time. And we get to verses 11 and 12 in the next part. This is where it all changes because it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus is the high priest, the perfect high priest of a new and far better covenant, offering himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, the, sons, the sins of all. Jesus, the Son of God, entered into the true and heavenly tabernacle, not made by human man's, but by God himself. So, so if the tabernacle was the earthly dwelling place of God during the old covenant, Jesus was God, Emmanuel, God with us. He offered his own blood, his own life, and it wasn't the blood of animals anymore, obtaining nothing just a temporal thing, but he offered his own blood that we might have eternal redemption. Jesus' sacrifice was far superior to the old covenant system because it was once and for all. There wasn't a need for him to go back in over and over and over again, and he wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it for you, and he was doing it for me. The great 
and perfect high priest was the sacrifice. He was without sin and he was perfect in every way. We no, no longer needed to have a guilt management system in that moment. The moment Christ died for us, we no longer had to do things in order to make us right with God. He paid the price. So how can you actively remind yourself of the once and for all nature of Jesus' sacrifice when you find yourself burdened by guilt or the weight of your past or even maybe your current mistakes, maybe your current situation makes you feel as though somehow it wasn't once and for all. And maybe my story will resonate with, with some of you. Um, growing up and coming to faith in Jesus at an early age um, caused me to think that maybe I didn't say the right prayer in the moment. Um, or maybe that day I had done something just a little too bad. Or maybe I hadn't done uh, enough good things in my day in order to... Um, earn God's approval. Sometimes I, I would even, I would believe when I would hear these things, this, this saying, and maybe some of you have heard this before and you thought the same thing. Um, are you positive that if you were to die tonight that you would go to heaven, right? It's like I think one of the scare tactics that I think some preachers would use in order to get people to come forward, that if you weren't positive, that if you didn't know without a shadow of a doubt that you would end up going to heaven if you died tonight, where would you end up being? And I still struggle with the idea sometimes that, like, I don't have to do anything in order to earn God's favor. That he accepts me as I am, and nothing I do will gain me any more um, favor with him. Because he knows I am a broken and wretched person. And yet, he still loves me. Who else in your life can truly say that? So maybe you're here, and you're hearing this today, or you're watching later, and you're still striving in your own strength to earn God's approval. Or you believe that you need to uh, continue to do things to make up for the bad things that you've done in the past. And maybe, maybe you still have um, a guilt management system in place. Be encouraged by his word today. Jesus entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption, not temporarily, but eternally. He paid the price once and for all. In the first covenant, <clears throat> excuse me, we saw how those ceremonial sacrifices for atonement were temporary and really only purifying the people outwardly. It was just an outward sign. 
And we read in verses 9 and 10, and let me read that for you again. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with the food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. The time of reformation has come, and now the transforming power of Jesus' blood purifies us, purifies our conscience from dead works eternally. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh outwardly, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the high priest was flawed. The blood of the animals could only provide a temporary cleansing. None of those things could cleanse the conscience or remove the guilt of sin. However, the blood of Jesus being sinless and offered willingly, has the power to purify us from the inside out, not just an outward in that we think. Something the old covenant could never do. His blood goes far beyond what any of the previous bloodshed could have done. In order for our consciences to be cleansed, we needed the blood of Jesus to be poured out on Calvary. So that, so that, we could stop striving in our dead works. And so what are dead works? Our dead works are any works done thinking that somehow those works could save us. Anything that we do thinking that we can earn God's approval. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is, not, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And when we serve the living God, we can either have one of two mindsets. We can either, either have the mindset that we are serving for God's approval, or rather that we are serving from God's approval. It can't be both. And one, obviously, is, is over one. You're not serving for God. You're serving from God's approval. So in what ways are you still living as though you are, that your dead works earn you favor with God? How is your life revealed in the ways that you work out your salvation? Is it by the things that you're doing that thinks that it earns it? Or are you resting in what God has given to you in Jesus? So maybe you're hearing this today and you think that you've done a lot of terrible things in your life and you still feel the need to do those dead works in order for God to like you and to accept you. Know this today. Christ died once and for all so that your conscience 
would be purified from those dead works. You can't save yourself. But Jesus can, and he does. You see, Jesus can save you, because even though it's offered as a free gift for all people, you still have to accept it. There's a part on you that needs this peace to be accepted. And Jesus does save because he has already done the work for us. There's nothing else that we need to do other than accept his free gift. Our great high priest has brought the old covenant to an end by his perfect sacrifice and with his shed blood, he transforms us from the inside out. So no matter how hard we try, we can't save ourselves. But the good news is that Jesus can. And he offers it up to us freely, once and for all, to cleanse our conscience from that sin and that guilt. His blood has the power to purify us completely, to set us free from the bondage of our past and to grant us eternal redemption, life with him forever. We have a Savior, and he loves us. He loves you unconditionally. He pursues us relentlessly and who has already accomplished everything necessary for our redemption. So we can lay down the burden of trying to save ourselves, striving in vain to be good enough to earn his favor, embrace the grace and the mercy that flow from the cross of Christ. You see, salvation is not about our performance. Nope. It's about his finished work on our behalf. So we should respond to this truth with gratitude and surrender, not holding on to things, humbly acknowledging our need for a perfect savior. But let us not forget the urgency and the responsibility that we have as followers of Christ to share this message of salvation with others. This isn't something that we hold on to and keep to ourselves because I'm sure you have plenty of people in your life that are still striving, that are still seeking, that are burdened with the weight of their sins and that guilt weighs heavily on them. We have a privilege, but it's also a responsibility to point them to Jesus, the only one who can and does save. So the van's going to come up and we're going to move into a time of communion. But let us hold on to the truth that salvation is found in Christ alone and this is a, a good chance to, to celebrate and remember that. But we should walk in the freedom in the joy and the assurance that we have knowing that we are saved by grace and not by our works because we would be in terrible trouble if that were the case. And let us proclaim this message of hope and redemption to a desperate world that needs a savior.
So I want to try something as we, before I close in prayer and to wrap up our time in the word. This is a, a great hymn that was written in the 1800s. And I want to say the first line and then you say the second line. Can we do that? And so we're going to do that back and forth a whole bunch of times until we get it ingrained in our head. It's not up there. Yeah, you were scared, weren't you? But I have a feeling you're going to be able to pick up the line that you're supposed to say. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? For my pardon, this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea. Nothing but the blood. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood. Not of good that I have done. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood. Heavenly Father, we come before you with grateful hearts. We thank you for the reminder that we cannot save ourselves, but how you have provided the perfect sacrifice in your son. Lord, we are humbled by your grace and by your mercy. We acknowledge that our striving and our self-effort will never be enough to bridge the gap between our sinfulness and your holiness. It is only through the precious blood of Jesus that we can find forgiveness, redemption, and eternal life. Help us to embrace the truth that our salvation rests in the finished work of, cross, of Christ on the cross. Help us to walk in the freedom and the joy and the righteousness that come from being saved by your amazing grace. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen.